The following message is entitled, The Marks of Superjoy Suffering, Part 7. This message was given during the evening service on August 7, 2022, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. Still in the Four Marks of Superjoy Suffering, it's kind of an odd title, I realize, Superjoy Suffering, but that's what our text is telling us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. That's super joy. It's not just the normal word for joy. It's super joy. It's one word in the Greek. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by trials. There are four marks of suffering. We're still in the first one. The first mark of suffering is in your note sheet. Christian suffering is temporary. That sounds good, but we don't know what temporary really means could mean your entire life because our lives are temporary compared to eternity. So it says there, even though now for a little while you have trials. Little while. Even though now for a little while. That's mark number one. Trials are temporary. They only last a little while. But we don't know how long this little while is. God doesn't tell us how long we're going to suffer. That would be nice. I mean, heavens, with any context that we live in. Relationships, job, where we live, money church. It would be nice, physical health, so forth. It'd be nice if the Lord just informed us, okay, you're going to have a pain in your elbow. It's going to be sheer agony, but it'll only last for two hours. I think we could all handle that, right? But unfortunately, that's not life. So a little while is really in comparison to eternity. So what Peter is telling us in verse 6 is that we're to have super joy in the midst of the unknown. And the unknown is various degrees of suffering. James 1 says, uh, uses the famous English word manifold or various trials. There are different sizes and shapes that we receive. And uh, I mentioned the major ones, physical, ministry-wise, job, relationships, housing, so forth. Those are pretty much the five major areas that we struggle. Ministry is predominantly what's being talked about here. Uh, it's suffering for the faith. Every chapter in Peter, as I've mentioned repeatedly to you, deals with various aspects of suffering. It's the suffering epistle. So in your note sheet, as you can see under mark number one of four, um, even though now, point number one, suffering is an everyday potential. Uh, we suffer physically. We suffer at the hands of unbelievers. We suffer circumstantially. It's because it's a fallen world. Suffering is an everyday potential. So the Lord expects Christians to cope properly with suffering. Little while, as I've just mentioned, point number two, uh, is in comparison to eternity. So we, God doesn't clue us in how long something's going to last as far as suffering. And that's point number three. We therefore have no idea how long we're or any trial will go. And number four, trials in our lives will last a little while, but God isn't telling us the duration of each. And that is why, as it says in your note sheet under point number four, we need joy and endurance. The phrase for a little while triggers the issue of endurance. If I don't know how long some hardship is going to be in my life, I either quit on the hardship or I need endurance. Those are your only two options. Quit on hardship or seek endurance. There is no third option. So... The track record of most believers, especially in a decadent, affluent, comfort-filled society like we've been raised in, the track record is to quit on suffering. However I can get out from under it, I will make the decision to do that because God is unfaithful and has allowed trials to go on for too long. He doesn't expect me to do this. I hear Christians saying things that are amazing to me. God doesn't expect me to do this. Why would God want me to do this? This doesn't make any sense. All those type of statements basically are we trying to read the mind of God and he's not talking to us. We have no right to speak for God unless we're speaking his word. His word is his only voice to us right here. We get all sorts of impressions in our minds that we think God is saying, I believe this, I think this, I feel this, I think this is from the Lord. You don't know. You don't know at all what's from the Lord. You don't have the voice of God and neither do I. Right? Voice of God is just his word. And what his word does tell us here is that you are, for a little while, time unknown, going to be distressed by trials. So I, I either quit on suffering 
or I seek endurance. And seeking endurance is what the Bible tells us to do, and that's number five, grasping spiritual endurance. We need it because we don't know how long the trial is going to last. I mean, let's, let's be honest. If I had known that for 35 years here, I'd see a slow grind down in attendance like we've received, virtually no, virtually no conversions. If you told me this in 1987, told Sue and I this, okay, here's the deal. It's going to be like, you know, at least up until 2022, 35 years of people predominantly leaving, offended by you, John, and the preaching. And... Um, very few, if any, conversions, and ones that you get turn up almost without exception to be apostates. Um, people will quit the church over the craziest stuff, John, and there won't be any replacements. The, the area around the church will be hardened up like stone to the gospel. It'll be a slow grind down to less and less numbers. Um, now you say, well, we're all experiencing it too, John. Yeah, but not to the same extent that I am, okay? All of you experience the same grind down of your church, but not to the same extent, because not all of you are on the front lines like I am. I hear the stuff, and you don't. And the stuff comes at me before it comes at you. And the typical way that you know, should know that is you'll come in and say, oh, this is very typical over 35 years. What happened to so-and-so? You'll say that to me. Haven't seen so-and-so for a long time. And all you'll get back is an answer for me like, oh, they quit. Well, that's the end for you. You go home, you watch TV, you go to your jobs, you do whatever. But I had to deal with all the stuff that went into the they quit. And to a lesser extent, but to certainly more than you, the elders did as well. So if God had told us this back when we weren't very spiritually strong at all, we're not today, but certainly more than back then, um, you think we would have lasted? There is a positive aspect of ignorance, that ignorance is bliss in this regard. If you really knew how long some of the trials are going to be in your life, you try to check out of it as fast as you can, right? So God is wise. He's not foolish in 1 Peter 1.6 when he just says, a little while. Um, he's not cluing us in on the length of trials. And that brings up 1 Corinthians 10 and the issue of endurance. We've looked at the first four points in your note sheet under point number five above the dotted line. It says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you may be able to endure it. I think this is pretty easy to understand that a verse that has the word temptation three times in it that's your subject. But as your note sheet says, that word is deceptive in the English. Perasmas is how you pronounce from perazzo there in your note sheet. And it is the same word for trial, hardship, or temptation, an invitation to sin. Temptation is an invite to sin. Three ways we're tempted. The world, the devil, and our own sin nature. We are Invited with an urge to sin. That's temptation. The same word is used for trials, which are suffering circumstances and aren't related to sin. And as I've shown you, that's what this is about. So we need to read this differently, verse 13, and read it like this. No suffering has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful who will not allow you to suffer beyond what you're able, will with the suffering provide the way forward. Another word that is misused that we will learn tonight is that word escape. That means, in English, I'm trapped and this is my quitting way out. That's what escape means to us in English. As we'll see, the Greek doesn't mean escape. It doesn't mean it at all. So let's, let's strike out some things that cause us to completely misinterpret this verse. This is not dealing with sin, it's dealing with trials and suffering. And the major reason we know that is not only the context, but also the end of verse 13. So that you will be able to endure it. There's nowhere in the Bible where we are told to continuously tempt ourselves to sin 
and just put up with it. There's no where it says endure temptation. You're supposed to get away from temptation, right? So that's the major defense in the text, that he's not talking about an elicitation to sin. He's talking about hardships. Okay. So in the English, not only is temptation mistranslated, but when you compare endure to escape, that's a contradiction in terms. Escape means getting out from something. Endure means staying under. Escape out, endure under. Escape out. That's a contradiction in the scriptures. That's insanity. You don't, you don't endure under something that you're called to escape. This is where English gets us into trouble. Okay? Now, as Randy says many times in Sunday school, I will agree with him. I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's go back to the text. Seized you was our next point under point number five above the dotted lines. This is all review. Overtaken. Uh, captures you quickly. Comes upon you. Boom. Can't see it coming. That's what it means. Just like as I mentioned last Sunday night, an epileptic seizure. Remember my high school gym class? Remember that? Those of you who are here and weren't sleeping. And I was talking about the guy went into a full grand mall epileptic seizure right in the middle of the court in sports in high school. I mean, that's something I don't forget now. I was 16 or 17 in high school all these years later. And that's something you never forget when you see that. That's seize. A seizure. So what does the saying? Trials are like a seizure that comes upon you. It can be a test, uh-oh, or it can be like a medical test, uh-oh, or it could be a phone call, something horrible happens, a job, the relationship, family. We never know. It's going to hit us. So this speaks to the reality of suffering. It just overtakes us. The idea is we'd like to run, but you can't run from everything. Number three, but such as is common to man. Man there is not believers. Basically, Paul is telling the Corinthians to man up because even unbelievers have suffering. And they don't have a provision from God to deal with it. And then last Sunday night, number four, this is the foundation of why Christians lack joy and do not endure and quit on suffering. They don't believe God is faithful. That is your foundation right there of how to endure is trusting God that he's faithful. You don't have to understand what you're going through. Only God needs to do that, and he is faithful. Number five, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Number five, who will not allow you to be suffering or tried beyond what you're able. Beyond what you're able. In your note sheet, notice I underlined it. It is... The idea is past your empowerment. Write that down. You will not be allowed to suffer past your empowerment. Beyond or past. You are able is one root, dunamai. It's where we get our word dunamis. It's one of the prevalent words in the New Testament for power. It's not where we get the word dynamite. It has a root that goes that way. That's an interpretive error. I've heard some pastors say the root of dunamis is where we get our word dynamite. But dynamite is, as I've told you many times before, is an uncontrollable explosion. And dunamis is not an uncontrollable grenade or a stick of dynamite explosion. So the analogy isn't correct. Better, it's the, the better analogy in the English would be a dynamo, which is an electric motor. Powerful. Dy huge dynamos run our turbines in our dams in the United States. Powerful control, controlled power. So beyond your empowerment, beyond your empowerment, past your empowerment, this is the foundation of this promise is that God is faithful. He will not let you suffer, not tempted, past your empowerment. Now, we know from 2 Corinthians, to be reminded, verse thir chapter 13, go over there. We find our source of empowerment. 
verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 13. We're looking at provision to endure, provision to suffer. The provision is God will never let you suffer beyond your empowerment, past your empowerment. 2 Corinthians 13, 4. How much power do we have? We don't have any, even as believers. Paul's pretty ticked at them. In verse 1, 2 Corinthians 13, 1, this is the third time I'm coming to you. And uh, he says in verse 2, I'm coming and I'm not going to spare anybody. This is dictatorial decree. We don't have this with elders. Um, an apostle has dictatorial power, and so he says, I come again, I will not spare. This church is in total rebellion. When you read 2 Corinthians 10 and you see it's just a grinding defense of his true apostolic character and position, you realize that all these Corinthians do is diss on Paul. They've had it with him. And he's pretty much had it with them. So verse 4, for indeed he was crucified because of powerlessness, not weakness, it's impotence, no power in the Greek. Well, who is weak? Jesus Christ is powerless? Excuse me. Glad most of you are looking down, didn't see that. Is Jesus Christ powerless? No. So the word weakness is powerless. Not little power, but powerless. No power. Who's weak? Who's powerless? All humans. So that's why he was crucified. We couldn't save ourselves. Can't sanctify ourselves. Yet he lives because of the power of God. There's the power source right there. Now he talks about believers. For we also are powerless in him. In him is a phrase that refers to conversion. What does he mean we're powerless in him? I thought we had Christ. How could we be powerless? We as humans are powerless in him. Yet we'll live with him because of the power of God. The only source of power under number five is the Holy Spirit who resides within you. So write it down under number five. Go back to 1 Corinthians 10. He will not permit you to be suffering past your empowerment. Your empowerment is the Holy Spirit. You and I are to trust the indwelling power of God in the midst of suffering. Not to take your trial away, but to enable you to endure. This is the provision. But I've tried. I've prayed to God. And there's no power. I don't seem to have any ability to endure. Well, then the problem isn't God. The problem is us. Go back to the phrase before. God is faithful. Who will not? Faith triggers everything. How did I get saved? By faith. What if an unbeliever said to you, you were witnessing to an unbeliever, and the unbeliever said, I tried that. It didn't work. And I've tried to have faith in Jesus, but I just, I just can't to be saved. I just can't. What would we say to that unbeliever? Well, then you have no hope. Right? If an unbeliever says that to you, you're witnessing. I've tried it that way. It doesn't work. And I've tried so hard to have faith in Jesus. I just can't trust him. I really want to. I just, the person goes to hell, right? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't be saved without faith. Same as with sanctification. And believers will say the same thing once they're supposedly saved. I've tried to trust in Jesus. I've tried so hard. That's legalism, by the way. You don't try and have faith at the same time. Those are mutually exclusive terms, okay? You can't try to have faith. You either have faith or you try. Trying is human ability. Faith is divine ability. But anyways, I've tried so hard. This just doesn't work. See, I'm, I'm the victim here. It's, it's not my fault. I really, I really, really want God to help me. I just can't trust him, then you have no hope as a believer. If faith is your only hope to be saved, trusting that God is faithful in the midst of suffering is your only hope to be sanctified. All that terminology has to be renounced. Either he will not allow, in verse 13, or he will. This is an absolute unconditional promise to those who believe that God is faithful. Either he will not allow you to suffer beyond your empowerment 
or he won't. Either this is a promise that is true or it isn't. So if the power isn't being tapped into, it's like someone saying, I want to be saved, but I can't have faith. If you want to be empowered to endure and you can't seem to endure, you just want to quit life's sufferings, the problem is faith. You don't and I don't trust that God is faithful. The provision is almighty God himself. How could any suffering overpower the Holy Spirit? Look at it again. Not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are empowered. What's the only source of power to endure? The Spirit. Right? Well, why isn't he working? He follows his own strict rules. He doesn't ever break his rules. Why can't I get saved? I've tried to have faith, but I can't. Oh, God will overlook the fact that you can't have faith to be saved, and he'll save you. He sees as an unbeliever you re Wouldn't this be a great evangelistic tool? He sees you really are trying to have faith in Jesus to be saved and just can't. You're such a victim. It's not your fault. You've tried so hard to be saved. He'll overlook it. You'll go to heaven. You'll go to heaven. Oh, so God breaks that rule, huh? Think God will break that rule? Aw, that unbeliever is trying so hard to have faith. No, you know what the unbeliever is doing is lying. The unbeliever is lying. I reject Christ because I reject the word. That's the truth. I don't believe God will save me. I don't believe he's sufficient to keep me from hell. All this, I tried as an unbeliever. I really wanted to be saved. I've sought faith and couldn't find it. These are all lies. This is what depraved men do. They lie. They make them appear like they're victims. I want this so bad. He won't give it to me. Really? God will have none of that for an unbeliever. You say, oh, well, then you're lying to yourself until you trust faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Unless you trust the Bible and have faith in Jesus Christ alone, you can't be saved, you're doomed. That's what we say. Same thing for sanctified. Christians come along, I've tried. I want so bad his power. I just can't find it. I can't tap into it. Where is he when I need him? God's not going to break that rule either. Oh, you're trying so hard to have faith, and you can't as a believer. You just don't trust me. You see me as faithless. That's all right. I'll empower you anyways to endure. God's not going to do that. The, the evidence from God's perspective that we believe he is faithless is when we have no indwelling capacity to endure suffering. That's the issue. God will not break his rules. He doesn't grant any exceptions. You need faith alone to be saved. You need faith alone to be sanctified. And to be sanctified, we have to endure suffering. The power source is the Holy Spirit. But I can't see him. I can't feel him. I can't touch him. He doesn't talk to me. He didn't do any of that when you were saved. You didn't get saved because you felt the Holy Spirit. You felt Jesus. You saw him and you touched him. We believed sight unseen. It's not an experience. You don't experience power. Ooh, power in my soul and in my mind. Now I'll trust him for suffering. That's not how it works. It's faith. You don't feel the power of God. You don't see the power of God. You don't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. You trust by faith. God is faithful. That's why it says God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be suffered beyond what you're able You've got to trust the power source under number five. If you're not receiving help, this is very important under number five now. If you think that you want God's power in the midst of suffering and you're not receiving enablement to put up with long-term suffering, whatever it is, there are two and only two reasons that happens to a professed believer. This is very important. Let me repeat it. If you're a professed believer with suffering in your life and you can't seem to find divine, miraculous, indwelling power to put up with the suffering circumstances in our lives, there's only two reasons for that. Number one, you're not a believer. Without the Spirit, there is no enablement. So it could be that the Spirit is completely absent. And that's why when a person has no ability to, to endure suffering, they should automatically, because the Spirit is very upset with them, 
a true believer will start to think that they're not saved. They will be terrorized. How could I not have the enablement from God to put up with any suffering he brings my way? Why is it it's not there? Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm going to hell. And then terror strikes the true believer. And evidence that one is not a believer when they have no empowerment to endure suffering is no terror that maybe they're not saved. I've told you this many times before as well. I set up people in counseling this way. Haven't done it for many years, but I've done it in the past. And it goes like this. So you're living like a rebel. You're living in sin as a believer. Are you willing to at least admit that? Yes. Um, well, how about this? With all this bad stuff going in your life, rebel believer, I'll say in counseling, do you still trust God that you're saved? And almost without exception, I'll get the answer back. Oh, yes, yes. I may not be living for the Lord, but at least I have assurance that I'm saved. Boom, and right then and there, I say you're an unbeliever going to hell. Right then and there. There is no assurance of salvation for a rebel unless they're lost. They have false assurance. It's a setup counseling question I use. Then they get real angry. How could you say I'm not saved? Who are you to tell me what's in my heart? And I'll say, well, 1 John 4 tells us assurance is only for the godly believer. So when you're in backslidden condition, it is an automatic tripwire. You know what a dead man switch is? I saw it in an episode. A guy was swimming. A Stargate episode, actually. It was Colonel O'Neill. He had to swim underwater to save a bunch of people in Stargate Atlantis. And so he was swimming underwater. He actually did his own stunts. And he had to trigger this dead man switch. The dead man switch was he had to hold it open or it would automatically trigger closed. So he, had to, he was under 10 feet of water holding this thing open so the water would drain and save all, the, all his fellow military people. A dead man switch automatically closes when you let go of it. Okay. When you let go of trust in the Lord, the dead man switch snaps down from the Holy Spirit. You automatically lose assurance of salvation. 100% of the time if you're a believer. So in counseling, when they say, oh, I'm living like, a, living like the devil, but oh, at least I'm thankful I'm saved. The dead man's switch didn't fall on this person because they're not being chastised because they're not a believer. Two reasons why we don't have help from the Lord. Number one, it's a false profession. There's no power. There's no prayer answered. God is not there. Number two, the only other option is the believer is in total rebellion. It doesn't matter the tears. Remember Esau? Esau sought God with tears. He was a total defying rebel. Don't assume because you cry to God, because you have emotions, that that means you're all right with God. You can be tearless and be in fellowship with the Lord or have great emotional upheaval and be out of fellowship with the Lord. The issue is rebellion. The issue is faith, not emotion. Don't let emotion trick you into thinking you really love the Lord. And I've had run into Christians like this with, with tears. They'll pray to God, oh God, I'm crying. You know that I love you. And he'll say, no, I don't know you love me. Stop crying. I've even told our kids when they were little sometimes, just stop crying. You're defying and disobedient to us right now, and you're going to get a spanking. Just said that to Eric a few days ago. He's actually preaching right now. What are the odds of that? Father and son preaching at the exact same time. You can actually go on the internet and plug it into your ears and listen to him. It's probably a better sermon than I'm preaching right now. He's in Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 16. Can you imagine he's preaching 16 verses in one sermon? He's a better man than I am. <laughs> Anyways, back to this. Rebellion. Disobedience is rebellion. And we know the truth. God says right there in verse 13, can't say I'm ignorant. I didn't know. I didn't know I was to trust the power. So look at God is faithful. Wasn't he faithful to save you? Yes, but he's not faithful to help you endure. Well, faithful, he saved me in one moment. So that was easy. You know, I, I was going to hell one moment and then he saved me. There wasn't any big trial there. I, I just got saved in a second. I said, Jesus saved me. I repent. Now i got to live all this time with this trial. It's not a moment of faith. I need all this faith. Yeah, that's what sanctification is. Sanctification is a lifetime of trusting the Lord. It isn't a moment. 
Two reasons why we don't have empowerment. We're not believers. If we were, we would have a loss of assurance. Hebrews 10 tells us this plainly. Our souls would not have little doubts. It would be terrorized. An absolute, total fear of going to hell, thinking that one is, when one is not. A true believer doesn't go to hell, doesn't lose their salvation. Tripwire. The dead man switch slaps down. It has to be held open. Assurance is a dead man switch. It has to be held open. And it's held open by faith in God. The minute you lose faith, the dead man switch falls. That's why Colonel O'Neill in this episode had to sit underwater and hold that open. The first time he did it, he let go and started to swim up because he was drowning underwater. He had to swim up to the surface. And he looks back and the dead man switch fell down and the water rose again. That's exactly what assurance is. It's a dead man switch for a true believer when they're in rebellion. God says, you're now in rebellion. I'm going to show you that according to 1 John 4. As soon as you get into rebellion, I'm slamming terrorized loss of assurance of salvation into your heart. And that's the wake-up call. That's like a clarion call. Oh, my goodness. It's none of this anymore. I've tried. You know, I love you. I really want your will. None of that. God is severely chastising me with loss of assurance. And the problem is me, not the suffering circumstance. It's me. The provision is for any suffering on this planet ever. The infinite provision is the infinite Holy Spirit who resides in us. What is the limit to the Holy Spirit's power within the mind of a human being that's saved? There is no limit to what it can do. The only thing that limits the Holy Spirit is our own evil and our sin and our lack of repentance. But then God wins the day on that. He first chastises loss of assurance. If the rebel Christian still won't repent of not trusting God as being faithful, then he starts attacking the various foundations of the person's life. Money, health, job, circumstances, relationships. They all start to collapse, especially the physical one. As God is in the process of triggering now not grace-enduring power, but grace executing power. This is where the Christian becomes so useless and refuses to repent that God eventually executes them and takes them to heaven. The provision is there. What do I do then? Repent of believing that God is faithless. The problem has nothing to do with the suffering. Endurance is not connected to suffering or not suffering. It's connected to your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number six. But with the suffering, we'll provide the way forward. Let's scratch off that word escape. The way forward is not to go forward into sin. This is not referring to temptation. So let's start with that word escape. It's a noun. Ekbasis. It's right there in your note sheet under number six. Literally means out from under. To move forward is better, like marching forward. All right, so let's, let's say, to use a crazy analogy. Let's say it's this massive humidity. We're all crowded up here in the front, okay? Let's say there's 50 of us up here. And as we're standing up here socializing and fellowshipping, all of a sudden an earthquake hits, and a rolling wave of the earthquake piles all the pews up to the sky and all the ones behind us jammed the door. We have no way out. We're trapped right here. Okay, you got the analogy? Now, if we're going to translate this word escape, it would be God transports me out of here like in Star Trek. Right? Jesus I need an escape. The pews are all piled up. We can't get out of here. The humidity is terrible. We're going to suffocate to death. Boom. Escape. Miraculous. But this word means move forward. The idea is the ability to crawl through the pile of pews as long as God has those pews there. The escape is moving forward in the suffering. And this is confirmed by depression. 
The essence of depression in the New Testament is shutting down, quitting and stopping everything. I've had Christians tell me, I'm not depressed. Well, wait a minute, you're shutting down on everything. Yeah, but I'm not de- That is depression. Depression just makes you shut down. I don't want to talk. I don't want counseling. I don't want advice. I don't want going through this. I don't want to go around it. I want it done. This is hopeless. God is not helping me. That's depression. Nobody ever reveals that in their hearts to others because that's such horrific sin. Nobody would ever want to let others know that that's what we're thinking, but that's what depression is. Hopeless. It's a terrible thing as a believer to call any circumstance in life hopeless when you have the hope-filled God living within your heart. You know what I would say would be hopeless would be the Holy Spirit living in my, in my sinful mind. That would, to me, that would be hopeless from God's side of view. When he looks at my sinful heart, I, I, I can't imagine. I would think he'd say, this is hopeless, John. Because he sees all the trash. But for us, knowing the spirit who is perfect and holy and faithful within us, to attribute and poke him with an attitude of depressive hopelessness is beyond blasphemy. Beyond. We are trying. We are trying. We want it so bad. We're evil. We need to stop all this self-pitying evidenced by I really want to stop lying just we need to stop lying to God and so he piles the pews of suffering and he says the way is not escape it's forward through so the soldiers marching in a 20 mile march Sue's nephew uh, Aaron has been in, in military intelligence still is I guess I don't know he can't share anything about it, but uh, he, I remember him telling me the marches were terrible. 20 miles with 150-pound back on your shoulder. And South Carolina heated an army base. I mean, can you imagine? They had to drink a quart of water every half hour or they would die. And it was, you know, I remember him telling me stories. Maybe it was him. Maybe it was his brother, Mark. I'm not sure which. Aaron, if you're listening, I'm sorry. It may have been Mark. But anyways, one of them, both in the army, told me how hard that was. I can't imagine. Now, I've seen things on TV, you know, where you'll see soldiers that just fall. And I'm sure Aaron or Mark Cummings could tell me that that happened. I don't know. They just drop. And they get dragged off to the side. And they get a medic to take care of them. They keep marching until they drop. That's what soldiers do, right? None of them say, Sarge, can I take a break? I want to sit down here for a half hour. Sorry. The way that you get through this 20-mile march, I would imagine the Sarge would say, is to go through it, just to march forward. Right? Not having been in the Army, that's what I would think. Of course, from the TV shows and the military movies I've seen, and we all know those are accurate, right? (laughs) Anyways, that's what this is. Move forward. It's not, get me out of this. Show me the way that I can quit. That's not endurance. How can that be endurance anyways? If endurance means to remain under... And how could escape mean to quit? Is that not a contradiction? Yes? But to remain under the trial as you move forward in it. It's a mud pit and you're going to remain in the mud moving forward. How do you move forward? With faith? The moving forward isn't looking for an escape to get out from the suffering. It's moving forward where you continue to grow in faith while you're in the mud pit still. That's what this is. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Verse 7. Verse 7 comes out of verse 6. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Well, it is a verse for endurance, isn't it? Instead of us saying as believers, I can't stop myself. I don't know what to do. Why are you helping me? How about quoting verse 6 of Hebrews 13? The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Man can do nothing to you. But look at verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct... Imitate their what? Faith. Mimic. It's durative. It's an action word, imitate. 
constantly have faith like they did when they suffered. He's our helper. Endure. Back to your note sheets. Number seven. So that you'll be able to endure it. Again, able. So that you'll be able to endure it. To be able to endure. Two infinitives in verse 13, 1 Corinthians 10. To be able to endure. They're parallel statements. Able to endure. To be able. To be empowered. Dunamai. A ability is mentioned twice here. Temptations or sufferings mentioned three times. Ability is mentioned twice. Middle of the verse and now at the end. Same thing. They're parallel statements. Why are they parallel? It isn't in the English. It is in the Greek. To be able. To, there's no and. So that you will be able to and endure. There is no so that. It's literally move forward to be able to endure. That's how this reads. Move forward to be able to endure. They're parallel statements because they feed each other. It's like this. How do I eat? You are able to chew. You are able to stick food in mouth. Able to chew. Able to chomp. Stick food in. Chew. These are parallel infinitives. You are able, empowered to endure. Moving forward, the escape is endurance. Endurance is your only way out of suffering. But what if it lasts forever? Then you endure forever. So here's how this reads. But with the suffering trial, God will provide the way forward, which is power to endure the suffering. Hypophero is different slightly from hupameno, which is remain under. This endurance is hypophero. Hypo is under in your note sheet. See, where is that? It's on the back side. To endure is hypopharo on the top of the back side. From hypo, which is under, and pharo, which is to carry. Carry like, uh, uh, like an undertow in the water. It's really what the, kind of the analogy it is. Like an undertow of a river carrying someone away. I was looking on YouTube yesterday or the day before at the largest rogue waves ever filmed in history. There was this guy in Australia who was riding a pipeline wave and the wave just grew and it swelled up over a hundred feet high in this little dot. He's under the break of the crashing of the wave as he is trying to get through the pipeline chute on his on his uh, board that they use, what do they call them? Surfboards. So this, this, it was a roll that rolled up. And in the YouTube video, this guy in the boat who's on the backside of the wall up on high, he's yelling at this guy, don't go over, don't go over. He's yelling like that. The guy tosses himself over the edge of this 100-foot wall, and these waves that swell eventually crash. So there were cameramen taking shots. This, this was pro, a pro surfer. The cameraman taking these shots. He survived that. How did he survive that? He just allowed himself, he said later, to just be pulled by the crashing wave under the water, and then it just impelled him towards the beach. Held his breath and he waited. Held his breath and waited. That's what this word endure is. It's incredible. Be carried under. I feel like I'm drowning in this trial. Just cross your arms, have faith, and let the trial carry you. Continue. Just continue. Suffering is like an undercurrent. You feel like you're going to drown, but God is faithful. And in the midst of feeling like you're going to drown, you deny the false feelings, and you accept the undercurrent of the suffering, that he'll pop your head up with endurance to be able to continue to do this. 
So do we understand that? So what we're talking about here, there is no escape getting out of suffering. Oh, we can do it. Yes, we can do it ourselves, but then we're out of your will. You're out of the will of God when you choose to quit on the suffering. Again, I'll remind you under number seven, what are the two times you should quit on suffering? When anyone or anything asks you to do something against the Bible, or anyone or anything asks you to do something illegal. So that's another reason why I don't, of the many reasons, I don't believe that there are grounds for divorce, because when somebody hands a, a Christian spouse divorce papers and says, sign this so we can be done with this horrible marriage, the Christian should not sign those papers because he is choosing to quit on a marriage that God put together, see? And it's true with anything else. Bad neighbors, bad jobs, bad relationships, uh, physicality. I mean, the, there are pagans in our society that are tired of the various terminal illnesses they have, so they escape by committing suicide. We all know that's wrong, right? No matter how bad the physical pain and, and, and problem is, there's never justification for suicide, right? There's never justification for relational suicide. Killing off the marriage. There's no justification for job suicide. There's no job justification for community suicide. Just, I don't like the community I am, so I'm going to quit. It's the same thing. God puts us in bad situations so that we will ride the wave under the surface. Hypo, under. Pharaoh, carry. To be carried under. Hupameno means to remain under. This means to be carried. This verb, infinitive acting as a verb, to endure it at the end of verse 13, speaks to progress. The progress isn't you're getting away from the suffering. The progress is so that you'll be able to endure it. You ride the wave to endure it. Godliness produces this. Now, if old John had been clinging to his surfboard under that 100-foot-high pipeline and it threw me down into the water underneath, I'd be dead. No experience, no ability to trust that this undercurrent's going to pull me to the beach. I'd be flailing. Next to me, the pro surfer, surfboard goes flying, the pro surfer does whatever he does, gets on his back, closes up, shoots like a missile, and he's holding his breath, and he trusts his experience to know that he will reach the beach. The mature believer understands that no matter how long the surfing continues, the suffering, not surfing, excuse me, how long the suffering continues, that it is a progress forward with endurance. Endurance shows progress. The only time a believer is stuck with suffering is when they're not growing. Many times we think we're trapped in suffering. We need to get out from the suffering. Suffering is never the trap. The trap is when we stop enduring and stop having faith. That's when we're stuck. That's the stick. That's the lack of progress. This is rejected, in my opinion, by almost all believers today. Suffering avoidance is the mantra of professed believers, and there's nothing anyone can do to stop such carnal thinking. We naturally, in our carnal flesh, want to avoid suffer pressure, suffering pressure, trials. Very few Christians understand or have the experience of godliness and faith to ride under the suffering and remain in it with endurance. Only the really godly, rare Christians these days see endurance as a virtue. Most see it as something that is to be avoided. Lastly, this evening then, endurance in a believer testifies to two things. Let's write them down and then we'll be done. Number one, this is number eight. The enduring believer accepts that he is called to suffer. The enduring believer accepts that he is called to suffer and does not seek to avoid the suffering, leaving suffering's duration in the hands of his sovereign loving God. The enduring believer accepts that he's called to suffer and does not seek to avoid the suffering, leaving suffering's duration in the hands of his sovereign, loving God. Suffering is never grounds for quitting in any of those five areas. Job, relationships, church, community, or physical issues through suicide. It's not grounds for quitting. Quitting on relationships, job, church, community, or suicide because of physical issues. Never grounds. Never grounds for quitting. Suffering is God's will, folks. 
It's as simple as that. He determines how long. Number two, the enduring believer shouts forth a God-glorifying testimony of trusting Christ in the face of adversity. This is what empowers our testimony. The enduring believer shouts forth a God-glorifying testimony of trusting Christ in the face of adversity. Something no unbeliever can do. Something no unbeliever can do. I've had an individual, one individual, especially at Skyway, say, I don't know how you can, with all that you're doing, how you can be so calm. I said, well, first of all, you're not seeing the times I'm not calm. And I said, secondly, it's not me. I have no ability to handle life's trials. If you see anything in my life, it's Jesus Christ. If we melt down and we lose it like they do, how can we ever witness to them of the power of Jesus Christ? Am I right? If we go fleeing a community because we don't like the crime, how does that tell our neighbors that we have a powerful God who can protect us? If we quit on a marriage, how does that tell unbelievers when we get divorced? That we believe in a powerful God that can restore a relationship in the face of darkness. If we commit suicide because of a terminal illness, how could that ever tell the unbelievers that we have a sufficient God who can see us through everything? Endurance is the power engine behind a powerful testimony that shows we've been transformed. And quitting and losing it in the face of unbelievers is a horrific testimony to the world that our God is fake and he is dead. Father, you are not fake and you are not dead. You are the power by which we live. You control the pipeline of suffering as it crashes down on our heads. And when we feel drowning, you are faithful still. And we ride the wave, carried forward by endurance through the suffering. We're to endure. We're to endure. When do we quit on you, God? When is it justifiable? Never. Empower us, Lord, to completely repent of the core problem of rebellion in this regard, in this topic. We truly do not believe you are faithful. We do not trust your power in dwelling. We must fix it ourselves. Then we truly drown, Lord. When if we had just rested in you, you would take us through any suffering with the infinite power of the Holy Spirit to see us through. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.